Welcome back. Today I'm happy to have a recording of my dad, Steve Ward, sharing his testimony. It was recorded about 15 years ago. So I'm going to just listen to it and let him share his story. I may add a few comments as we go through this, but I really wanted to share this because it ties into so much of who I am and um, his story impacted me, not just hearing it, but also, you know, obviously my own life and how, where I come from. But as you'll, you'll hear in this story, uh, just so many different things that God was doing and it still inspires me today. And I'm just blessed to be able to have this recording. I want to thank Travis Ogletree for getting it to me and giving me the chance to use it for this opportunity on the podcast. So here we go. Well, I've got a, just a, a few scriptures I want to read, and I'm not really going to teach on scriptures. I'm going to more share a little bit about uh, some of my past and, and my past, mostly my past Christian testimony. And uh, but I want to read a few scriptures just to kind of undergird this with a little bit of a biblical theme. And I want to start out with reading uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to understand what type of race this is. And I want to distinguish between two different types of races. One of them is the 100-yard meter sprint. The other one is the uh, long-distance marathon. And, and I believe that the race here that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is a marathon race. And uh, that's why he... It's, it's much more difficult to run a long-term race and prepare for it. But I think the Lord wants us to understand that that whatever mindset we have, and, and the scriptures say, let this mind be in you, or let this mindset be in you, which was in Jesus Christ. Let this attitude be in you, which was in Jesus Christ. Uh, we need to have the attitude, the mindset, that, that we are in it for a marathon. And to to go through a marathon, you have to basically make up your mind before you ever enter into that race, the real, uh, you know, the difficulties of what that race might mean, before you ever start. And so the quicker we resolve that as believers, uh, the better off we are. Because if we don't, if we don't understand that this is a long race, and, and how this race is longer for some than others, it's basically however long our life is in this present life. That's how long our race is. And there, there will, there may come a point in our walk, like Paul, who said, "I finished the course." And we may recognize that at some point. When you start recognizing that, just you know, that's probably the Lord telling you it's getting close to time to leave this present life. But we, we're, in a, we're in a long-term race, and this is something a lot of the younger believers sometimes have a hard time getting, catching a grasp on. They're more like a, the, the race that they run is more like a 100-yard, you know, speed race, a meter, 100-meter race. And so they're like a thoroughbred racehorse that comes out of the gate at the sound of the bell, salvation, 
and they're gone. They're just they're running, and that hundred yard race is they're just they're going to run that, and they're out running everybody in the race, and they're so on fire, and they reach the close to that hundred yard marker, and suddenly that hundred yard marker disappears. And that, and the next thing you know, what's appearing is a two hundred meter marker. He said, well, okay, that's only twice as long as I've just run. So they run a little slower to the 200-meter marker. And they just get there, and they're looking, hallelujah, I'm just about there, and that disappears. And it turns into a 400. Then it turns into an 800. Then it turns into a 1,600-meter. And then it's a reality that sets in that this race is not over until it's over, and then we're called to run it with patience. And a lot of young believers... Uh, run it. They come out of the gate with a lot of fire, but when they find out the race is not over shortly, when they haven't arrived to maturity quickly, they, things uh, start becoming difficult for them. And a lot of times, they 10, 5, 10, 15 years later, they have been distracted and they're falling kind of by the wayside and quit running the race. So the message here, and then what I'm going to share in my testimony kind of applies to that a little bit because I was like that. And uh, I had a mindset that, that has changed drastically over my Christian experience and from the time I became a new believer. And so we need to run with patience or endurance the races set before us. The second one I'm going to read is Psalms 131. I was touched with this one because basically I'll just tell you what, what I want to draw out of this is that we need brokenness. We need brokenness to survive. We need brokenness to endure. And we need brokenness to be changed because the Lord is changing us. He's changing us radically. And uh, some, brokenness as an early Christian is something that you understand intellectually but you don't understand. It's something that you will start to learn very quickly as you go through different things before the Lord. But God is interesting in changing us, and He is interesting in changing us into His image. And the one inescapable route that God is taking us on includes the process that's, that will break us. Break us from our insufficiencies, break us from our, our self-strength, uh, break us from our pride and, and cause us to walk in true humility. And this, this scripture kind of um, declares that to, in, on, some, on several levels. But David cries unto the Lord, Lord, my heart is not haughty. And we know what haughtiness is. It's just somebody who's lifted up in pride. Nor mine eyes lofty. What is lofty? It means lofty is something high, a place that you can look down from and look upon situations or people. And he says, uh, my heart, my eyes are not lofty. In other words, I don't consider myself in a higher place than anybody. I don't, I'm not sitting up here. Come up to me because I am here. I will speak to thee from the high and lofty place. He says, my eyes weren't lofty. He didn't look at himself as some place of elevated position before the people of the Lord, even though he was a king, a great king, a holy king who was on fire with the presence of God. Says, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. And I wanted to just just focus on that just a little bit. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or things that are above me or 
kind of out of my category, out of my place. And, and really this, what this says is he didn't look at himself from some high position. He had learned before the Almighty that he, he didn't need to think of himself or think he possessed things that he didn't. Basically what this declares is that David had learned meekness before the Lord. He had learned meekness. And meekness is something, really, I think probably one of the best biblical definitions that I've found for meekness is not some real mousy, quiet, timid personality. But some of us may have a quiet personality. Some of us may just be timid because of upbringing or, or whatever. I don't think meekness really is, describes that. I think what meekness describes is is someone who has really, truly learned their place. And in truly learning their place, they have learned the value of the place of others. And, uh, and they've learned to be content with that. They have matured past ambition and uh, condescension and uh, those type of things that a lot of Christians get caught up in. And David had learned that. And I just wanted to kind of put these two verses together and say, you know, this is a lot of what the Lord does. And, and in our lives, as we go through different processes and different, different circumstances, He is trying to teach us to, uh, to be really in the image of, of our Lord. He's, he's, he's brought about the process in our lives that will bring that. And there's no shortcut. There is absolutely no shortcut. There is maybe uh, sometimes we can short-circuit what God is doing and to make it longer than it should be but we can't make it shorter than it should be yeah. and a lot of times we think we've made it longer and we think oh God's put us in the wilderness well we've gone to the wilderness uh, but but there's also there's no sh- shortcut there's no you know interstate bypass around the wilderness there is a wilderness that we must go through and the wilderness is there to teach us and, and we will go through it no matter what on the way to the promises of the Lord as we're called to our destiny as an individual on a corporate level and of course on a historical level we, you know, we, we, we're partakers of all three of those realities personal, historical corporately and so it's a great walk we're in so I'm going to and, uh, and hopefully you can say that 15 years from now I've been I've now been with the Lord, and He started serving the Lord in 1972. So that's that's longer than some of you've been alive. And uh, so then um, I was approached uh, by Travis and um, first, and then a little bit with Ray. This might be a valuable thing to come share this, and I and I want to say about when I go into this uh, that uh, it's my past that may have some value for you, and. Uh, so I'm going to talk about it. Just a brief salvation testimony. Uh, I was I came to the Lord when I was 18 years old, right out of high school. Uh, my whole plans I won't go into my much of my past history, but my my life basically up to the time I was 18, especially as I got a little older, developed through high school. I I was moving towards uh, a music career. Is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional musician. Whatever that meant, uh, I had I, I liked rock, I liked jazz, I liked classical. I just liked music in general, and I played several instruments. And uh, as I I went through high school, I my best instrument was uh, the French horn, and I kind of picked up keyboards on the side because I liked to play in rock bands. So I I played classical piano as a child, 
and then quit and got involved in playing a brass instrument. French horn's a brass instrument, by the way. It's a modern version of the shofar horn, which is a ram's horn. Anyway, uh, I, my, my, whole, my, my burning heart became to be more and more to become a professional horn player first, secondarily a composer, uh, a jazz musician, rock musician, whatever form that took. A, a, a ranger. I actually arranged uh, jazz band scores in high school and and played, you know, and I had a lot of fun with it, enjoyed it, loved it, liked writing a few songs here and there. But uh, French horn was my first love and my greatest, uh, my best gift as, as a musician. And I graduated from high school as one of the top horn players in the nation, not only the state of Oklahoma, but I was one of the top horn players. I was a high school All-American. And... Uh, I had scholarships anywhere in the country where I wanted to go. I just had to pick my college. And I chose the college that had a girl I was attracted to. That was really good motives, right? It was a lesser university, but, you know, I liked girls. So I, I went to and never even never even had the first date with her after I went there. Uh, God had a, had a different, different plan. And so, anyway... I, uh, in the summer after my high school graduation, right after my college freshman orientation, God Almighty came into my life and shook my life. He just, he just showed up. I was looking for him. I had had many distresses. I won't go into my drug testimony and all this stuff that I had. But, but I had a lot of distresses in my life, a lot of things that caused me to, to think a little deeper, to be a little hungry for more reality, a lot of things that made me realize that life is not as simple and easy and and uh, it caused me to start looking towards spiritual things. And God started dealing with my life for about a year before my conversion. Okay, I want to uh, add a few details here about what led up to uh, um, Dad's conversion. Um, Dad had been involved with a girl in high school and had gotten her pregnant. Her parents then forced her to have an abortion. And um, that that tore him up, messed with his mind. Um, he also was involved in alcohol and using marijuana as well as selling it. And even, even after his initial conversion, he, um, still had to deal with, he had just purchased marijuana to sell. And so those are some details that he's leaving out, but I just wanted to include that because he kind of skipped over that because where he's going with this story, um, he wasn't necessarily focused on what led up to that, but that was where he was as a, as a teenager and just graduating high school, and that led up to his conversion. So I'll let you go back to it now. But at the time of my conversion, the enemy had kind of left me alone, quit tormenting me, and life seemed like it was bright and happy and sunny, and I was getting ready to move on my way down the, the career that I'd kind of dreamed of. And the Lord just showed up in my hometown in the form of the Jesus Movement. For about a year's, year and a half time, the Jesus movement hit my little hometown in the panhandle of Oklahoma. And I could spend two hours talking about the Jesus movement and the historical significance of it, but I won't. I don't have time. But it hit our town, shook our town, and suddenly hundreds of kids started turning to the Lord in my little small hometown of 10,000 people. And I was one of those numbers. It was fantastic. I mean, the, the, the salvations were so radical. They were so real that nobody could deny them. Uh, heroin addiction deliverances, demonic deliverances, 
just just hit our town. Out of nowhere, no special evangelist came to town to bring it. Jesus brought it to town. And, it, and that happened all across the country in 1972. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can stop right there. That's. Uh... Thank you, Lord. I love that. You want, you want to know what denomination I'm of? I'm the Jesus Freak denomination. And uh, my pastor is Jesus. And he's, he freaks me out. So Always has and always will. There was a guy we met along the way back there. In the... Susan met him. I never met him. But I feel like I met him. Uh, his name was Ralph Friedman. He was a blonde-haired Jewish kid. I don't know his full background, whatever rock man. He played in a California acid band. He got saved. And he played guitar. And he had a voice that resonated the presence of God when he sang. I mean, when I, I try to pick, give you words that describe what his singing would do to you. His guitar resonated the Spirit of God. His, when he played guitar... You would melt like wax. Just he he walks into a Presbyterian church. This is 1974, 73 era. He walks into a church in England, an Episcopal church. Well, later we found out some of the stories. This guy had gone to England. He walks into a dead Episcopal church in England, hits two chords on his guitar. The whole church fell on their face. He would literally he melted the hardness of hundreds of years of religious. You know, deadness, and the whole church would weep. Well, we Susan met met this guy. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, just just to bring back his memory in my mind, I just started thinking about the different. His his anointing was so incredible. He went to Jerusalem, and and played his guitar in the airport, and the people didn't want him to leave. He came to a Presbyterian church in Charlotte, and the and the whole church ends up taking off their shoes. They've got this on recording in their in their. Uh, records, you know, they recorded every sermon in their church for however long they've been able to record. It changed the course of it changed the course of my town. It changed the course of a lot of people I knew. One of the most one friend I have who's still with my friend to this day, one of my closest friends, still he lives in Tennessee. Uh, his his salvation was as radical as any of them. He's going out with some buddies to get stoned, do some all kinds of things, and ends up at a drive-in theater with a movie, my greatest, the greatest story ever told, showing at a drive-in theater. Gets saved at the drive-in, on drugs, delivered instantly from the worst of drugs, methadone. He was a methadone addict, an acid freak, pothead, every you know, but the, the more addictive drugs. He was instantly delivered. Two or three days later, he found himself on a tractor because he worked on one of the many farms out there in Panhandle of Oklahoma. Found himself on a tractor saying, God, somebody said something about speaking tongues. What about that? Bam, he falls off the tractor speaking in tongues. You know, this is how God, fast God was moving. It was so fast. It was so incredible. But anyway, I'll leave off all that to kind of move forward in, in the story that I need to tell here. But, okay, I, get, I have a radical salvation experience in the summer of 1972. About a, about a month, a little over a month and a half before I'm scheduled to start college. So I'd already made my college decision and, and began to move forward. I uh, moved on to Weatherford, Oklahoma, southwestern Oklahoma State. Found myself within a day in the middle of a bunch of other Jesus freaks. Just within a few days. I found myself there on the campus with a little thing they called the Lighthouse. It was a little Jesus freak storefront where the Jesus Freaks, all the converted new kids started meeting, and it was absolutely incredible. 
the Lord was just there. I, 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 can, I, I look back, you know, shortly after that, actually, Lord, you ordained me to come to this school. You had prepared for me fellowship. You had prepared for me strength and edification and uh, all that I needed at that time as an infant, infant child in Christ. And uh, just had an, an exciting first four to five to six months as, as a new believer. We met two or three times a week at this lighthouse. That became more important to me than my music major. Uh, just uh, getting to know these guys, the testimonies. And they were all, we were all very much alike. And yet all of us were different because we were different human beings with different lives. But it's very similar because the Lord had just radically arrested us and put us on, the, put us on his path. Why? I moved along through that, you know, had some ups and downs. Not a whole lot of real downs during my first six months as a believer. But you had my struggles because I was a, I had come out of the world. The world in the 70s and the 60s was a, was a radical time of departure from from basic core value, you know, as a culture. And uh, the battles were difficult. And I would go through, you know, different things. And the Lord would move and the Lord would... Uh, place you on a rock and you had the foundation to move on and I remember some of the intense wrestling thinking then it would get hard you know think well Lord am I going to survive am I going to survive the the onslaught of the flesh am I going to survive the remembrance of my past and uh, so you know and because I didn't feel totally purged from it you know it still was kind of there so close you know but I wasn't totally purged from it but the Lord just began to work a purging and work more and more of a hunger and I was you know mainly as far as the type of churches we associated with even in the Jesus movement at that time on campus the one that seemed to kind of embrace us was a uh, Weatherford, Oklahoma's First Baptist. So we kind of all attended First Baptist, and a lot of us did. And some of us had Methodist, some of us had Seven Day Adventist backgrounds, or whatever. But uh, charismatic, spirit-filled thing hadn't really entered into the picture yet. And so, but as I read, I remember reading the Book of Acts and reading about the miracles of our Lord, and was just uh, blown away. Begin to ask questions, Lord, what about all of this? You know, what about these gifts that are mentioned here in the New Testament, the gifts of the Spirit, and and that kind of became a prayer. And, and one of one of the, my Jesus brothers uh, came up to me one day. He said, "I'd like to take you to a church in Oklahoma City." And uh, he said, uh, "This church operates in all the gifts of the Spirit in First Corinthians." And I never got to go with him, but I remember he, remember the seed being sowed there. You know, wow, this stuff this stuff goes on. You know, of course, I had, my friend that had received speaking in tongues hadn't yet told me about his experience yet. And that was, you know, several months before. But anyway, uh, so I'm moving along, just excited, young believer, having some struggles, but I'm making it. I didn't really have a, a long-term vision. That's why I read this scripture. I didn't have a long-term vision. Uh, at that time, the theology of the day was the, uh, was the rapture. Uh, I, the night I gave my heart to the Lord, I heard a message on the rapture of the church, that the church was going to be raptured. Uh, had to be had to take place by 1978. So I thought, you know, I can make it to then. Uh, the, the one of the preachers I heard, name was Richard Hogue. He was a fiery Baptist evangelist who had a heart for the young generation. He he said, this generation will not pass away until the Lord comes back. And he preached a, a message of the coming of the Lord. So I was, well, that excited me. I mean, that excited me. So, but I I, I thought, you know, I can I have the strength and energy. I can make it. Until 1978, because it's 30 years from the time Israel became a nation, and and by that time the rapture will have taken place, and we'll all be in heaven, having a party. I can handle that. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm moving along there, and and 
had a, had at least a kind of a semi-short-term vision. My short-term vision was the Lord's coming back any day and going to catch us out of here and we're going to be through and I can make it to the end because it's any time now. And I remember with my Jesus brothers, uh, Lord, it's going to happen any day. And we just, we'd start rejoicing. We'd just start looking up, you know, and thinking, what's going to happen? We could be zapped out of here. And uh, anyway, so I won't go into all that, but um, that was my, my short-term vision. And uh, going along, trying to grow in the Lord, very involved in studying the Scriptures, uh, very involved with my brothers in Christ, praying and just fellowshipping and witnessing. We, we did a lot of witnessing on our campus. We'd show up at every event. About six months after I became a believer, I went home for the Christmas break, you know, between semesters. And uh, by that, at that time, my mother and dad had been divorced since the spring of that year, and my dad had left town. And I uh, came home to my mother, who was a hopeless alcoholic, and found my all my siblings had been taken away and put in foster homes. Wow. And so I was kind of shook up there. So, I, but I went to stay with my mother, and because I was a, you know, I was on my own at that time. They weren't. They were younger. They were in junior high, sophomore in high school, and so they got taken into foster homes. And I won't tell you that story, but uh, came home for that during that season, and uh, we had a little. There was an old Episcopalian church that was abandoned, and whoever had the property rights to that building basically gave it to the Jesus people and let them meet there. So we would just show up there and meet. Well, we, you know, we went through our Christmas festivities and showed up at there at, on Christmas night. And instead of being, you know, in all the Christmas happenings, we we just showed up for fellowship. And uh, we just walked into the building. Several of our regular brothers were there, and we just, you know, just, we just get our guitars out, you know, and start playing and just just talking, reading the scriptures together. And a, a, a guy shows up who I'd never seen before. Uh, he was an older guy. He was about uh, five or six years older than me, maybe seven or eight. I don't remember. He was, you know, back then that was way older than me. So I was 18, and uh, he's probably 25 or 26. And we walked in. We're hallelujah, praise God, brother. And we're slapping hands and hugging. You know, we all had long hair. But anyway, we had long hair, hippies loving one another, not accepted by the church. We were in redneck town, not cowboy town, Panhandle of Oklahoma. If you, if you fellowship with them, you cut your hair, buddy. Uh, anyway, uh, we meet, meet this one brother here, and I just walked up to him, slapped his hand, never met him before, shook his hand, said, praise God. I said, do you know Jesus? Uh, and he said, yeah, hallelujah. Do you know the Father? I said, praise God, I know the Father, hallelujah. I said, do you know the Holy Spirit? He says, oh, and he starts speaking in tongues. And... Uh, I was going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so, anyway, he, uh, that's the way he introduces himself, as someone who knows the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, we're just all kind of taken back. You know, we, we had, we had seven day Adventist Jesus freaks, Baptist Jesus freaks, charismatic Jesus freaks, and just Jesus freak, Jesus freaks there. And, and we all had the different backgrounds that had immediately influenced our Christianity, you know. Maybe it was our family roots. Maybe it was just some, some, something else. But uh, anyway, so the, the discussion got very lively very quick. The Baptist theological experts began to want to prove this guy is satanic. The seven-day Adventist Jesus freaks wanted to begin to prove this guy is wrong and off the wall. And us 
uh, the rest of us were just flat out blown away and open. I was one of the ones that was blown away and open. So we begin to discuss things with this guy. And uh, he begins to share with us about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. He also, be, this guy walked in a prophetic gift. And this guy began to share his testimony with us, which was utterly incredible. It was, it was as incredible as any of ours and more credible, more incredible. His, his testimony was so fantastic. And we, we sat there for hours, and we talked about prophetic things. We talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The night ended up with the ones that were interested, went up what we call the upper room of this building, a prayer chapel in the old Episcopalian church. And we began to pray and ask the Lord about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this brother and his wife began to just lay hands on us, pray for us. And my best friend Kevin, at that time his name was Kevin Holt, was standing there beside me, and I, I, you know, I'm just starting to get, get wound up, you know, and getting kind of involved in this prayer and stuff. And he crashes and hits the floor. I mean, just, you could just hear a crash. And I'm, I turn around to him. I say, Kevin, what's going on? You know, he's my very best friend. And I knew him since a child. And he, he couldn't even speak in English. I mean, he, every time he tried, Steve, he just got, he could not, for three solid days, he couldn't speak in English. And uh, he went home to his wife, and his wife said, what happened? He couldn't speak in English. He, all he could do was speak in tongues and pray. And he was, and he was just shaken. He would just shake under the, under the anointing of the Lord. And my experience was different than his. And a lot of us had strong encounters. My, in, my experience that night was I remember when I, when I was prayed for, I sensed an anointing came on me. Not so much for speaking in tongues as I sensed an anointing come on me for overcoming sin and overcoming the lure of sin. And it's like sin suddenly took moved from right here in your face to look what you're missing to way over here to like, you know, you really can't bug me as bad as you used to. It kind of moved out of the way. And I, and I remember sharing with the guys there. I said, you know, I feel an empowering over sin that I've not sensed up to this time in my walk with the Lord. So it was just an incredible night. I remember going home and laying in bed just by myself, just going, you know, just rejoicing and just excited, on fire, intrigued, blown away with all that God had done that night for days and days and days. So I went back to school for the second semester and uh, began to meet with my Jesus brothers who, again, we all had a lot of different orientations, began to share with them. And some of them had had similar things happen in their life, and some of them didn't. The ones that were starting to become a little more sophisticated in their theology and had been kind of prepped by some of their preachers, became, you know, they were real quick to warn. Others were real quick to embrace, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we kind of moved on. It was a common thing that happened kind of while we were gone among some of us and it was like a, a fresh a fresh day of excitement came upon all these young believers and uh, so we're moving along it's about first of March and my friend Kevin one day shows up he was going to school with me he shows up and he goes remember that guy that we met back on Christmas night that had so much to say I said yeah I remember him yeah I mean it was like it was like yesterday fresh in my mind he said uh this guy works for a, a, a studio company that takes college photographs for albums, etc. And he's there today. I'm going through the line, and he speaks to me and starts talking about the Lord. He says, "I, you know, Kevin. He was always, he was always the one that had the spiritual manifestations. You know, he'd 
fall out, pass out, shake, quiver, whatever, you know. He just immediately under the spirit again, and he's just shook up. And he begins to say, you know, I met this guy, and we begin to talk. You know, he's going to be around tonight. You want to go see him? I said, yeah, sure. Hallelujah. Man, let's go see him. So we got together. Man, just a connection just hit us. Just fire, excitement, presence of the Lord. And we were just so so excited. Just, just It was just building, compounding daily, it seemed like. So I introduced this guy to some of my Jesus brothers there on campus who were kind of the uh, Jesus people elders. You know, and we, we talked about, uh, met with them, and, and a lot of them received some of the same excitement. At the same time, we had just formed a praise band. Kind of back then, they weren't really praise bands. They were more Christian rock, mini rock bands. I don't know what they were. They were all new. But we played together and played rock songs and jammed and had a good time before the Lord. And, and we just kind of formed this. But anyway, uh, uh, we began to entertain the idea about this friend of ours that we had met that had introduced us to the gifts of the Spirit and stuff coming to our college campus and uh, having a week's meetings. Boy, we didn't know what we had opened ourselves up for. But for one solid week, we saw more people saved in, in a night than we saw the whole first semester. We saw epileptics healed. We saw uh, demonic deliverances take place. One kid walks in, who had read the Satanic Bible, became demonically possessed, walks in with a busted bottle and says, I want to cut the throat of every one of you Christians. He ended up over in the corner whimpering like a, like a weak puppy under the presence of God. Delivered, you know. We were sitting there, no one even fearing us, you know. We're sitting there with a busted off coke bottle. I'm going to cut your throats, you bunch of hypocrites, you know. And he ends up getting saved. And uh, and the guy that, that was healed of epilepsy was a Church of Christ guy. And you know, you know what Church of Christ guys think about miracles, uh, present day miracles. So we saw, you know, this was happening. But in the meantime, uh, the discussions with this particular guy about the prophetic, his prophetic side, uh, began to take place. And he began to share some of his prophetic visions that he had had. So you know, here we are. We were, you know, we're wide open, and uh, you know, we're wide open, free flowing. The Holy Spirit's moving. We're just seeing it all. You know, God's got us on a on a train here, and we're going to ride this thing. And uh, so he begins to share with us about the prophetic things, and, and I'll, I'll just briefly mention some of that. But he he saw in his visions extreme end time troubles coming upon the, the earth. Extreme end time problems coming on the United States of America. You know, he began to share these things and they were radical. They were nuclear war holocaust type visions and, and world famine, drought, etc. Uh, you know, just extreme turmoil coming. Economic woes. And right then we were entering into a major recession and depression in 1973. And uh, Okay. This is key um, in some of the points that he's going to be making as he tells his story. Um, the oppressive nature of the judgment of God and the obsession with apocalyptic uh, prophecy instead of uh, really knowing the heart of God, what God is really saying uh, in these days, in these times, and the emphasis of this, it, um, it saps joy away from the believers. It, it can make life dark and fearful. So I, th that focus... Um, kind of as he tells his story, just just remember that 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 type of thing as it comes in, that's that's really not the heart of God 
for what he was doing. He was he was doing a new thing, and they were focused on, and this is something that the church deals with on a regular basis. We always want to turn everything into apocalyptic or end, end of days types of things, and, and that may be happening, but in the middle of that, God is good. Read the book of Revelation over and over again. Where you see these moments of praise that that come into um, into it, and just the glory of how good God is is still present in all of that. Especially as He's moving on people, that's not the oppression that God wants. That's something that that needs to be dealt with and understood because it will ultimately begin to control um, a lot of things in a person's life, especially as they develop in their following God. Okay. He began to share these things, and he said that when the Lord gave him this vision, he described this vision, the Lord showed, told me six things that were going to come to pass as proof of this vision. And he said four of them came to pass. He named all four of them that had already come to pass because we weren't there to see those because they would already happened. He said there's two more that are yet to be fulfilled, and he shared what those were. Within two months, both of those events took place. And they were something you couldn't, you know, they weren't like thus saith the Lord, you're going to go across town and you're going to have a, you're going to go into Walmart and you're going to buy some groceries. You know, they were uh, world events that you couldn't make up and you couldn't manufacture. You couldn't even know about. And some of them were even geological events. And so uh, they came to pass. So here we were shook. And, and his word was that, you know, it wasn't very far off in America was going to be faced with a total economic collapse, a total destruction of societies we now know it and we're going to be facing the potential of a, of a foreign attack with a nuclear war taking place and, and the signs were there here I was a newborn baby Christian six eight months old you know hearing this and excited about all that was going on and I began to pray about it and you know and you know, as, a, as a young believer you didn't know you know didn't know how well I could hear God or not hear God thought I was hearing him pretty clear because God was working so strong around us so begin to pray and pray about uh, uh, what Lord wanted was saying on all this and I I decided and considered and believed that the Lord had called me to quit college at that time and join with this guy in ministry I, you know I was a musician I didn't tell you all the fun the stuff that happened on the college campus it was incredible the music we had revival meetings around there different Jesus houses and everywhere we went the same thing happened it was so exciting it was just it was like a kid in a candy shop and uh, so anyway I made the difficult decision to leave school it wasn't that hard but it was hard because I left the only thing I was, was really good at which was being a horn player and uh, left the full scholarship and decided the Lord had called me into ministry with this particular brother. So me and my, my friend Kevin quit school mid, midterm second semester. Leave it all. We just walk out on it. Within a month, uh, my friend, this, this guy's name was Jerry, uh, within a month, this incredible things begin to happen on a higher level. Uh, he had already set up some an organization to go into high schools. And, and under the name of a drug assembly, he called the, the, his ministry DEEP, D-E, a DEAP Drug Assembly Associate a Drug Something Program, and he and he was he had worked it kind of through the legal loopholes to be able to come in and basically give his testimony in church in, in in a school, and so he set it up at several high schools around the area of Oklahoma City. We left Weatherford, went to Oklahoma City, moved into an apartment with him and his wife, or got an apartment next. I was next to well, I was living with Kevin and his wife in at my bedroom, and they. And Jerry and Sharon lived next door, 
So we began our our, our uh, journey there in ministry. So we, the, we, these doors opened up for us to go into high schools and give our testimony. So in uh, March or April of 1973, March I think it was, we got an uh, opportunity to go to Henrietta, Oklahoma. We got in the morning we were we got to speak at the high school, and the afternoon we got to speak in Henrietta Junior High. Well, in the morning we went the the high school went wild. The kids, some of the drug guys got really upset at the testimony that was going on and started yelling and screaming and giving trouble and whatever. And, uh, you know, we don't want to hear this crud, you know. Take your Jesus freak stuff and get out of here. So we we went through that. The principal had to get up and quell the kids, tell them to calm down. That that Later that afternoon, we went to Henrietta Junior High, and Jerry came out and gave his entire testimony. His testimony was just, you know, taken from the bottom of the pit the bottom of the barrel and raised up with the mercy of God. To make a long story short, the whole junior high of three to 500 kids gave their heart to the Lord. Right there to the, uh, you know, to the, the, the teachers and the principals were coming up there trying to stop and quell. And Jerry says, finally, he says, you know, I asked what I could do and what I couldn't do before I came into these. I asked a legal official and they said, well, you can pray. And you can ask others to pray, but you cannot make anyone pray with you. He says, well, what I'm here to ask, he says, this is only for you who want it. If you want to give your heart and life to Jesus and want to come up here and pray for that to take place, he says, you're free to come. But you that don't want it, just don't worry about it. The whole school came down to the altar. Every kid in there, it was incredible. Jerry was up there in a junior high and he was going, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He wanted to scream to the top of his voice. And kids were throwing their drugs up on the stage. And and we had a little music and in the altar call and it was just I was down like this. I was playing some music on a keyboard and Jerry was talking. I looked up and the whole auditorium had moved down to the front. And the only ones were left in the chairs were the teachers. And we were just blown away. And we later received testimonies, met some of the kids that were had given their heart to the Lord that day. And they said it, they absolutely said it was one of the most real events they'd ever seen. So we're we're sitting there. Wow! One month out of college, this takes place. Lord, it was worth it. It was worth it. And so we're moving on along. And you know, we had already begun to embrace the prophetic idea. We were starting to operate in, in about gifts. Uh, Jerry introduced me and Kevin to another prophetic ministry that he had heard of that was saying the same type of things as we were hearing from Jerry. We went away to this ministry. I won't go into all that. There's so many details I need to leave out for the sake of time. But we hear this other ministry. Jerry walks up to this guy and begins to share with him what he's seeing. And the guy just shook his hand. This guy, this particular guy, was on a hundred and something day fast. And if you've ever been around people who fast, there's something different about what they what what they emanate. And he emanated uh, an anointing that just blew us away. He would when in the ministry that took place, they would carry him out, two or three men would carry him out or roll him out in a wheelchair because he was so weak from fasting. And he would stand up and preach for four hours and minister under the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then when he got through, the anointing would leave him, and they'd just basically carry him out because he hadn't finished his fast. And uh, he looked at Jerry, and, and this guy looked like he would just look right through you. And he, he just said, it's real, it's true. He said, go preach it. So here we are. We're, we're confirmed. We're getting ready to... We're, we're, we're on the trail, man. God is just confirming. Miracles were taking place. This guy, we heard that night, prophesied probably 50 world events. These weren't, again, these weren't little minor events. One of the events, I always remember, he said, 
he said a tornado is going to hit Oral Roberts University because this, this, this word took place in Tulsa. He said a tornado is going to hit Oral Roberts University as a sign to this word. And he was really into judgment, you know, the wrath of God's coming on the land. And about two or three months later, he comes back the night before the tornado hits and proclaims to Oral Roberts University the tornado will hit tomorrow. It hit the next day. It hit the next day. And we, to, to say the least, we were shook. I cut my hair off. Uh, that was a big deal. And uh, so we're just extremely blown away by all these events that are taking place. And not only that, he named other world events that were I'm going to talk about earthquake in Guatemala, uh, different things. We're going to, a particular air crash taking place somewhere. Uh, he had also prophesied the, the Marshall football team was going to be killed in a terrible plane crash previous to that. He, up to that time, this guy's word was basically unmarred by failed prophecies. And uh, so he was, you know, people got heard this guy were literally shook. They'd forsake everything. But anyway, so we're going along here. And this is this is about the early summer of 1973, and we're just on fire. We had we we'd have we'd have revival meetings at churches, and and uh, we're on fire. Uh, Jerry and I and Kevin actually rode one night to go to a funeral house and raise an acquaintance of his from the dead. We, were, we, we, had, we, we got in a car in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and drove to Clinton, Oklahoma, which was about 200 miles away. And we were, we were going to arrive at that funeral house, and we were going to raise that guy from the dead. We didn't, I don't even remember doubting that it was going to happen. We were just that, that on fire. So we get to the funeral home, and we raise him from the dead. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we get to the funeral home, and he's not there. They'd already buried him. So we figured it was a little bit too late. So we kind of gave up on that idea, but we were still excited. And uh, no, we didn't dig him up. No, our faith didn't quite go that far. So if he's still in the casket, we'll raise him. And uh, we were just on fire. We'll pick up a hitchhiker on the way. You know, we ministered him. He gets demons cast out. His eyes start glowing like yellow lights in the back seat of the car. We're sitting there. We start talking about the Lord, and he just starts manifesting. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, it was incredible. So we're moving along, and we're, this ministry is starting to take place. Uh, in the meantime, we met a church in Oklahoma City called the Love of God Tabernacle, a guy and pastor named Ed Steiger. And uh, we go to that church on a Sunday morning. And uh, this church, I will say to this day, I've never met a church that operated in the capacity of gifts like this particular fellowship did. It, it, it was in every new believer that walked in that door had his past, his present, and future spoken to him. Everyone that I ever saw walk in that door at that time. It was incredible. We walk in the door. The next thing you know, uh, we're being called out by the ministry there. They didn't even know us from anybody. And they begin to minister. I remember, I remember walking. My, it was one of my first real encounters of a personal ministry. And they begin to tell me about my past, who I was, what had kind of made me, and what had brought me to the Lord. The Lord was kind of, and the Lord wants to confirm where you're at. And the Lord began to tell about the future that, that, that he had for me. And that happened to each one of us. There was, at that time, there was about three or four of us, and it was incredible. And they had, a, they had a sweet little old lady there who would record the prophecies with a little cassette tape player, and she would go home, she would get your mailing address, she would go home, and she would type out everything that was said to you and send it to you in the mail. That was her ministry. 
and so to so that you could hold on to it, have some visible form to remember it by. And that was her ministry. She's probably 75 years old, and she was so sweet, and she just loved that call that she had. And the, and the word was so incredible. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a ministry by the name of C.L. Moore. Uh, there was a, there was a, another time we came there, and there was a minister by the name of C.L. Moore, who anybody that's ever been around this guy will testify that he had the most phenomenal gifts that they had ever seen on a prophetic word of wisdom, word of knowledge level. And he's there one Sunday morning, and we hadn't been there five minutes. I'll always remember that. We hadn't been there five minutes, and he's jumping over pews or walking through chairs to get to us, and he begins to prophesy to every one of us about the call of God that was on our life. And we were just we were sitting there going, man, this is it was inc- it was incredible. It was utterly incredible. So, and I won't I'll, I'll leave out all the details for the sake of time, but we're. We're coasting along. All these types of events are happening. We just seen the salvation of entire junior high. We just seen miracles. We were seeing, we were, we were just getting started. So one Sunday, early summer of 1973, we make our we well, not every Sunday, but we would go visit this fellowship just because it was so, the you know we never you could always expect something phenomenal every time you walked in the door, something phenomenal would take place. We walk in there on a Sunday morning, and there's this kind of strange looking guy in the pulpit. And he's kind of wearing raggedy clothes. He doesn't. He's not well shaven. You know, he kind of looks like he needed a bath or a little bit. You know, like he just needed to clean up. And uh, he's ministering. And they had opened the pulpit to him. We walk in at after the meeting had already started. We're sitting in the back. And Jerry, me, and Kevin, and several other guys and girls, and we just sitting back there. We just came for the meeting. We're just chugging along, seeking the Lord. And this guy begins to speak, and he's kind of stirring up a little bit of controversy. He began to say, he said, my name is Arby. He said, uh, I was electrocuted six months ago. I fell into a swimming pool after the electrocution took, electrocution took place and was recovered 30 minutes after being underwater. He says, the Lord raised me from the dead. He said, the Lord raised me from the dead and told me to come to this church today and that I would meet a young man dressed in black who was called to be a prophet to America. Well, Jerry was sitting there in black. He started wearing black suit and sometimes a black shirt even, you know, kind of the image of darkness and doom, you know, whatever. And uh, he he's sitting there in black. And this guy's up there saying, God sent me this day that I will meet a man who has a prophetic message to America and that I'm supposed to share some things with him. We, had, we came in late, and Jerry's sitting back there just trembling, you know, just shook. The church is kind of shook up. They don't know what to think about this guy saying he's been raised from the dead. I mean, even this church, who walked in the gifts of the Spirit, was sitting there kind of tongue-tied. Yeah, no pun intended. And uh, they, uh, so we, we go home. Jerry invites a guy to come home to lunch with us. So we, we invite the guy. He spends three days with us. He shared his whole experience. And he, and he basically told Jerry, he said, you're the man that God has given a prophetic word for America at this time. And he, and he began to explore it with him a little bit. He began to talk about stuff that I wasn't, wasn't prepared for, the call into sonship, perfection, things like that. And uh, I kind of kind of... Got my dander up a little bit because I was just a young pup at the time. wasn't ready for that type of meat. I thought I wasn't ready. but anyway. Okay, I just want to interject here. 
that type of thing is what people needed to hear. They needed to hear that there are deeper things like the call to sonship, uh, to become mature and walk in the ways of God, the way Jesus taught us and the ways that establish us on a firm foundation rather than just the excitement of things we don't quite understand. When you pair the excitement together with the practical understanding, you get a powerful move that can change the earth without having an unstable foundations that many times the people of God get bogged down on. So we'll go back to it. Anyway, Jerry hears this word out of nowhere. And uh, I'll try to make a long story short because we had so many events happen in the next four months that were similar to this that it was mind-boggling. We, uh, we would go to churches. We'd go, just, we'd go hear a word somewhere. You know, we were at a church one time. And, and we were ministering to a little church out in Panhandle, Oklahoma. A little old lady calls up the church, calls the pastor. She said, the Lord showed me there's a man there today with the spirit of Elijah on him. Uh, you know, we, didn't, we weren't asking for any of this, but it just began to happen. And, uh, and God moved at that revival. It was, you know, just incredible, and it just and the Lord was starting to form a group of us together. Pope Byers, all you guys that know him, got involved with us, and he was one of the early Jesus freak friends of mine. He gets involved with us, and he's starting to, you know, and look into the prophetic things, and uh, so we're coasting along. And the event like this, it was so many that that and I've probably forgotten a lot of them that took place. And but um, and this is exactly the way it happened. We're going along, and then, and then this other ministry that, that I first told you about that had the, the tornado prophecy and, and about 50 other world events that all took place began to share visions that God showed him that there was coming an, the rise of another ministry in America. Uh, and he said, this ministry is going to have the spirit and the power of Elijah upon it, and it will be called to be the ministry of reconciliation of all things, and will bring the prophetic word to the land that will bring the judgment upon the nation. So, you know, we're hearing all this and, and uh, you know, we're kind of starting, to, I hate to admit it, but we were starting to add one and one. It was coming up too. After after so many series of events, we, uh, we started contemplating, uh, Lord, is this about us? Is this about what you've been putting together here? Is this about Jerry? I mean, he was a he was a Elijah type guy. He was kind of a dark haired, you know, hairy, lot like locusts and honey, and uh, you know, he was kind of a strange guy. Very, he was a brilliant genius. He was a genius. He artist, musician, athlete, fought in the Green Berets, you know, in the Vietnam era. You know, he was a very unique guy, just in the natural. And he was gifted. He was the most powerful, eloquent preacher I, I've ever heard to this day in all my years as a, as a believer. And uh, his testimony was so unique. And uh, But anyway, we're starting to consider, Lord, is there something going on here that's a little bit bigger than even what we've thought? And and, and we just kept getting words and, and stuff that we weren't even looking for. So we're coasting along, you know, we're just looking for the avenues of how, if this is true, you know, God confirm it. And we, we kept feeling we had con- confirmations. And another word came out about this. And this came from multiple ministries across the nation, as I found out later, that, that there was a, 
then they were taking the Zechariah 4 passage about this, the bowls and anointed cups of the Lord with the seven cups that poured into it. So there was going to be seven prophetic entities raised up with this Elijah ministry. And, uh, and there began to become words like that, you know, about that God was going to gather a group of young men around this ministry. And we ended up with seven men, young men, uh, that were all, we were all together. And we, we just feasted together in the Lord. We worshiped, we praised, we, we, uh, but we started entertaining the idea that maybe this was happening. Maybe we were part of that. And I don't know if there was, how much there was ego involved in that, but there was, there was a, there was a strong consideration. So one day we get a call from some guy again out of nowhere and he asked for somebody to bring him some food. Said he was a poor old man and needed some food. We, we go to this guy's house. We, we're ready to do good deeds. You know, we love people and want to help people. And we just jumped on the call. We went and bought the guy some hamburgers or something and took it over to him. And he, we wa- had more than walked in the door. And he says, the Lord showed me the, the ones that brought me this food. I was supposed to give my 3,000-person uh, gospel tent to. And we're going, oh, no. You know, you know, and he said he had this thing in storage down in Louisiana. So we meet this guy. His name was John Lewis. But anyway, we get to know this guy, and he is really hard to swallow. He's just an old man living kind of by himself with his wife. His house is filthy. He's got a bunch of dogs, you know, that just kind of, you know, that he never cleaned up for. And uh, so we just, we kind of get to know the guy. We just clean, and we just cleaned his house, pick and span, you know. We just got involved with him. We were, God, man, this, this guy's an instrument that God's going to give us our tent so we can set it up and start preaching on a larger scale, you know. We just, this is another one of those uh, keys. Well, I mean, one more, one more event. My friend Jerry went to this ministry, and I'm not mentioning too many names to protect uh, the innocent. He goes down to uh, um, uh, one of these conferences in Texas where this prophetic, the bigger word that we talked about, the guy was delivering the long, many realms of prophetic things. And he, and he, he it was 19, this was later, early 74. So now we're about six, eight months into this. And he, he he's preaching again this vision that he talked about in 73 about the coming of an Elijah ministry. And he says, and the Lord showed me that God is going to pour an anointing on him and he's going to be, begin his ministry. And he named like in the next short time his ministry is going to be revealed to the nation. And my friend Jerry was sitting there on the platform of the ministry. He says, the Lord showed me, he says, God's going to pour an oil anointing on him. He turns around. with a, He used to carry a horn, kind of like a ram's horn, full of uh, anointed oil that he concocted or something. And he turned around to Jerry and poured the whole horn on his head and just drenched him in oil. And uh, we're just, I mean, it's, it's kind of like you read Bible times and you just go, wow. You're, just going, you're going from one wow to the next. Up to that time, everything had been pretty well wows. And, uh, you know, I wasn't looking for this. None of our friends were looking for this. It's just something that happened in the course of our Christian walk. And uh, up to that time, nothing that Jerry had ever shared prophetically had failed. Everything had come to pass. And here we were in 1974, and uh, things were even getting hotter. This is, I won't, you know, I could go on and tell about how I met Susan. Uh, 
I first met her brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, and sister. We go down to Texas where this ministry was headquartered out of, and we uh, we meet them somehow. We go home. With, no, they were they were renting the house that Jerry had rented down there, and they were living there. And uh, we go visit and meet them. And this guy, and I, I talked about all these spectacular gift manifestations that I'd seen up to this time. Susan's ex-brother-in-law made these other ones look weak in comparison. He would sit there, you know, I hadn't, we hadn't more than talked five, ten minutes, and he begins to tell me about things that only me and God knew, to, you know, together. There's things that, that, and uh, here, you know, again, this is getting close to the end of this spectacular list of events that led us up to this point. And he, and he ministered to every one of us. And uh, it was incredible. And we felt like, and it was at that time, this guy joins us. And everybody he ever ministered to that I saw at that time, it just seemed, it was the same type of thing. They go, you know, nobody knew that but me and God. It wasn't something he could read, you know, kind of guess at, you know. It was something that only, that you couldn't, you could not make up. You know, if you've been around gifts very often, you know, a lot of times it's iffy, you know, at best. It's like the Lord showed me that He's going to bless you. Okay, yeah, I know He wants to bless me. He's going to bless you shortly. Okay, I'll take that. And He's going to give you what your heart desires. Amen. Hallelujah. It wasn't anything like that. And you know, you know, a lot of times you get ministering, and you're kind of going, "Yeah, I feel something," but I don't really know fully what's going on here. And uh, so we're up to that point. We meet. His name was Steve, and his wife's name was Caroline, which is Susan's sister. And I still didn't know Susan at this time. And he decides he's going to join us in Oklahoma where we were kind of centering at the time. And he moves up there. And it was at that time when uh, things begin to kind of move out of control. Okay. <laughs> we're not going to be able to fit this into one episode. And I, I think this is a great place to stop. Um, he's making a transition into the next phase of the story. Like he said, it's about to, it's about to get crazy. So I hope you are enjoying this and uh, we'll pick it back up right here next time. Until then, I love you. God bless. Everything lost will be renewed long ago.